We're live. Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking about planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill. I'm the host of this program. Thanks, thanks once again to everybody for joining me, especially those that are subscribed. And before you get going, subscribe, whether it be through uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, so that you know exactly when the next episode is coming out. And that is normally every Wednesday at this stage. Well, big show for you. Uh, we'll be talking scale today. That's sort of the theme of the show. We've got a special guest in Tim Dehan, a, a scale modeler down here from Australia, uh, Victoria. So uh, stay tuned for a, a great chat with uh, Tim. So before we get into it, let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, what has been happening around the traps? And look, I think I'm going to get rid of this uh, segment because there's nothing much to report. There doesn't seem to be much happening out in the hobby as a result of the whole COVID thing. But I'm really looking forward to getting back to some events uh, that hopefully will be running next year or, or assuming that we get over this COVID situation. But uh, not much news happening except... Uh, our local hobby stores are still trading and it's a great time if you are you know restricted in your movements like i am here living in uh, the state of victoria to get on top of some of those projects uh get into some new uh projects later in this episode i want to talk about uh kit building and uh, how you can go about that because something i've been eyeing off uh during this covid period but the shops are running. So your model flights, RC World, Desert Aircraft Australia, Albury RC, all those main shops are still going. Now, be mindful that a lot of them are suffering from poor stock availability. You know, this whole COVID thing has affected the world and people's abilities to manufacture products. So if you haven't already experienced it, you've probably seen a lot of out of stocks uh, showing up on websites. They are doing their best to get more and more coming in. I know that Desert Aircraft have got a container load of Pilot RC kits. So the best thing to do, this is my tip, having having sold model aircraft in the past, that's another story, but having sold planes in the past, if you are eyeing off a model, don't wait to go and contact your local shop or the local um, dealer or whatever for a particular brand. Tell them in advance that you're interested in a model and that you want to buy one if you can get one. Because the way the industry works is most manufacturers aren't building for stock. So a kit that you may have liked four years ago may never be made again. Uh, if you look at brands like uh, Hangar 9, uh, Extreme Flight even, um, they're always building new models. So you've got to get in quick nowadays because you don't see them often going to make something that they made five years ago that you may have loved back then. And you want now? Not going to happen. You're going to have to look at the secondhand market. So state your intentions. If you need a motor, if you need servos, whatever, get in. Even put them on back order because then the business knows what you want and what to order in as soon as they can get it. Uh, you know, it, it's just the nature of the game at the moment. We'll get back on on, on top of things just once uh, the supply chains start to free up a bit. So. Tip of the day, the news is model shops are still trading. They are, Their stock availability might be a bit low for some items, but get on board, tell them what you want early and just keep on supporting the local scene. 
keep it thriving so it gives us choice in the future as far as our availability of products and choice of models and stuff like that. So get on board, help those retailers keep the wheel turning. Now for our special guest and what a special guest he is. Now this gentleman keeps on referring to himself as being a relative newcomer to the hobby and he's been flying model planes just as much as I have and I consider myself a bit newcomer. He's, it's, he's, he's about nine years in, I think it is. He mentions it in the interview. But anyway, Tim Dahan is his name and Tim, I first met Tim at a flying event and he had a, I think it's a Seagull Models, uh, Urkoop. Uh, if you haven't seen an Urkoop, they're the uh, the model with the twin rudders in the back uh, and low wing kind of thing. And it looked amazing. And I ended up doing an article on it for the Flat Out RC magazine. And at the time, he told me he was building another one, uh, which Tim will talk about. But uh, his claim to fame is that that model that he built, the big model that he built of the Urkoop, won the Pilot's Choice Award at the Shepparton Mammoth Scale Flying. Now, that is a massive initiative like to, to win that that is the best of the best really so i was so proud of him that he got it and really uh thankful that he got that uh reward for all of his effort and so i really want to have a chat with him talk about um uh you know what he's been up to and he's an everyday modeler he's not out there winning competitions things like that but he's like you and i passionate about the hobby and as i say everyone's got a story to tell so over to tim dehan's story well joining me today here on the flat out rc podcast is a relatively known pilot down here in Victoria called Tim Dahan. Tim, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, Tim, we've we've met a few times. I've seen you at events, and uh, we're going to get into some of the planes that you've got uh, later. But uh, before we do, where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Uh, my journey began up at King Lake Model Flyers Club up there. Um, a very small um club if you like and uh, a friend of mine he was uh flying up there and i'd always loved planes uh from when i was a kid so um yeah we um he went up there and watched him do his thing and um sort of uh yeah just um loved the fact that uh it encompasses not just the flying but um, a lot of building and um uh, different different things uh, like yeah, motors, <laughs> electrical stuff, and all that sort of thing, and that sort of captured me because I'm a electrical fitter by trade, so it sort of made a bit of sense. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting that you put it that way because I think sometimes we take that for granted that you know we've got uh, woodworking skills, uh, electrical skills, and like you said with the motors, and um, I've you know. I'm I'm sounding stupid now, Tim. That I've never actually thought of it that way, but you're 100 percent correct. Now you said that you you keep on telling me every time I see you that you're relatively a relative newcomer to the hobby. Now you told me just off air that you started when you were 43, which yeah, is that's right. which. Oh, look, it's a lot of people in our era. I think that would be considered a bit later than normal. What were you into before model flying? Uh, look, I um, well, fishing was probably my main thing um, most of my life. My dad was a fisherman, so uh, yeah, followed in his footsteps. Um, but in saying that, I, I still remember when I was like 
I think, 11 years old or something, had the chicken pox and stayed home. And all I did was draw pictures of planes and build a couple of plastic kits. So I still had interest back then um, with with planes and stuff, but um, just never had the, we never were financially very well off. So never really got the opportunity. Um, yeah, uh, but in saying that, uh, I sort of, um, uh, yeah, that was fishing was the, probably the main main thing beforehand. Do you know I've got this saying that um, if you ask most aero modelers, they're either into cars, boats, motorbikes, or fishing. So you've ticked <laughs> that box, and and I, I say that because I think that the mindset of a fisherman and you know people that are into cars and things like that is very similar to the mindset that is required for aero modeling because you have to be a tinkerer, and and. I, I actually I equate fishing to flying model gliders that you you can't see those thermals but you live in hope that you're going to find one. So when you were 43 years of age, you got into the hobby, and you know it sounds like it started from seeing someone else flying. Uh, what what plane did you buy first off? Uh, my first plane was uh, uh, E Flight Apprentice. Um, without the uh, safe yeah, mode. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, excuse me. Uh, so yeah, we um, that was that was interesting. Uh, it survived, and I still got the plane, so I, I did okay. And that was, uh, you know, I taught uh, basically. Here you go. Here's a trans. Here's a transmitter. Um, you know uh, that type of thing. We didn't have a buddy loop, um, but yeah, it survived, and it was a great plane uh, as a beginner's plane. It is a, a great plane to learn on. Yeah, I actually, I. If anybody asks me what plane they should get, if they want to learn or teach their kids, I always say the Apprentice is a good cost-effective sort of platform to start with. Being you know, you know electric, it makes it simple as well. Get up and running. So and then so after the Apprentice, things got worse for you, didn't didn't they? That you you know kept on buying more planes. So what was next? Oh yeah, um, I think uh, trying to remember now. A few little cheaper foamies, if you like, which I learned very quickly that um, yeah, it's not not a good thing when you're still learning. Um, uh, you know, uh, so I think the next I actually already started thinking about building back then, um, and I know I got a Sig Four Star Forty kit. Um, that was sort of the first one that I started building. Um, but, um, yeah, I had several little foamies and bits and pieces in between, um, yeah, to keep me going. I think a classic, the uh, Phoenix classic trainer as well, which is a, a good aircraft as well. Yeah. Actually, I've got a story about Phoenix classic trainers. It was a, a club I was a member of at one period of time down uh, here in Melbourne called Parks. And, um, guys there were mucking around with classic trainers and what they were doing was, Trying to hot rod them basically, convert them into three D capable planes. So they were overpowering them. They were they were modifying the wings, you know, shortening them up and doing whatever to try to get these classic trainers. And I always remember that every time someone mentions a classic trainer, I think of these guys that were sitting there hovering their classic trainers after modifying them and you know making big control services and all that. You know, some people got yeah, a lot of time well, on their hands. I, I think I had overpowered mine a little bit too, <laughs> a bit, bit too early, but. Uh, yeah, it, it met its demise actually only a year or so ago when we were playing golf 
with <laughs> golf with our, our uh, trainers. So um, I won't say too much more, but I followed the golf ball, not the plane. <laughs> good idea. Good idea. <laughs> the, um, now, uh, so you started with some some pretty basic planes, but uh, if if anyone sees you today, they they would know you as a scale modeler. Um, what was your first foray into scale planes? Uh, my friend David White, um, he's now moved up to Port Macquarie, unfortunately, but he sort of, we both sort of joined or well, signed up for NAAA and that at the same time. And he was up at King Lake. So he actually, um, he's pretty, uh, what was the word? Uh, he, he want, he's very uh, forthright in, you know, just wanting to learn more and that, even at, I think he's 79 now. So he's still learning. Um, you never stop learning in this hobby that's for sure um and uh he said to me he said oh you know i'm thinking of going to a, a scale victorian flying scale association event and so he went he went to his first one and he said it was really good he's gonna you know help improve your skills and i sort of was at the point where i wanted to learn more about flying the flying part you know i enjoyed build, building but i needed to get my hands <laughs> working properly as well and um so yeah that's that's he sort of introduced me to the scale side of things um yeah so yeah um and that, that really has been a good um a good learning curve uh for me anyway being coming in late into the hobby um as opposed to learning as a kid um you know you, you sort of get a natural ability i think when you start young uh, i i see my son is 13 and every time i get on the simulator he's got this thing that whenever there's a television ad on he runs over to the simulator and says my turn and grabs a transmitter and and, and flies around and i look at what he's doing even though he's mucking around i'm thinking gee like orientation he gets it pretty quickly i don't know whether you know all these kids nowadays play a lot of computer games but uh i like that idea of um you know uh, you know, if you go to scale competitions, that you you have to fly a certain way in a disciplined way, which actually speeds up your development. Did you find that when you started to get involved in that scale scene and competition, that your flying was improving? Oh, definitely, because it you know pushes you. It just pushes you to do things like they say. You know, when you're flying and you're having fun, that's great. But you're not actually thinking of where you want to actually put the plane necessarily. Whilst with the um, scale flying, you, you it just forces you to to do um, make it look like the real thing as best as possible. And it's just a, it is a bit of a competition level. But all in all, it, it was still good fun. A um, little bit nerve wracking when when people are watching you, but it's still um, I quite in, enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it was it's. Um, certainly helped me a lot now i'm not i'm not going to say i'm an aerobatic type of person um the planes i've sort of picked to fly have generally been um you know low wing loading planes which sort of fly fairly easily but in saying that sometimes it's windy so they don't yeah. handle too well in the wind so that, that's the thing and often you know when you turn up on competition day you don't know what you're going to get it's not like a an average day at the field where if it's blowing a bit, you stay home and do something else. But uh, you got it. You're forced to fly and, and challenge yourself, which again, you know, adds another dimension to the hobby, doesn't it? When 
when you have to have to go out and, and and you're with other people as well, which helps. So that that smooths it out a bit. But uh, when you go beyond just your local flying club, trundling around, flying your circuits all day long, turning up to one of these events can be a great way to push things along and keep you motivated. Because you know, I've noticed even you know, I've never mentioned this to you before, but you know, observing you from afar through your activities and seeing you at events and how you're progressing, uh, you know with even your building and the models that you're building now and it, it, the first time i met you you were flying a, a an urcoop the and it was a 30cc size urcoop from seagull models and and i actually wrote an article on it for the flat out rc magazine because i loved the look of it uh, and it looks so special and if anyone doesn't know what an urcoop is it's it's quite an iconic plane it's got a, almost like a tw- not it's not twin boom but it's got a twin rudder setup hasn't it um and I remember I went through a phase with, well, especially in sort of, oh, I can't remember, at least halfway through the production of the magazines, I realized that um, talking about the full-size plane before I started talking about the model actually put a lot of things in context. And the Urcoop's claim to fame was at when it was launched, it was, its claim to fame was that it was the world's safest plane. And um, yeah. it, it, what, was the, what was the unique part about an Urcoop? Something to do with, the rudder was on the steering wheel or something like that, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it's um, it's got no rudder pedals as such, so the the ailerons and rudders are coupled together. Yeah, that's um, right. yeah, but um, it's um, yeah. Look, I suppose I, I just I'm sort of drawn a little bit to unusual aircraft, and there's still many out there that I don't even know about that that yeah. Uh, to look at sort of thing, but the airtube was one of the ones that first grabbed my attention, and um, uh, you know I was sort of looking for a something that I could fly in scale um, that would be a little bit unique, but also of a size that would handle a little bit of the conditions, because um, yeah, as you said, everything sort of seems to get bigger and bigger as you go along in this hobby, um, and uh, yeah, so the seagulls had the airtube kit. Um, which, uh, you know, it was a great, great model. Uh, needed a little bit of tweaking and I sort of just scaled it up a little bit more. Um, well, but, tell, tell um, us, just on that point there, because it, it, I couldn't recognise the model because of some of the modifications and well, there's subtle modifications, but tell us a bit about that seagull urcoop and some of the scale detail that you added because I think it's it's interesting to see what you did with that plane, taking it from as you know as an ARF and then trying to just modify it a bit so you can get into a bit of the scale competition. Well, yeah, the the thing was well, it was what is it a bit over ten kilos, so it's a fairly hefty model, um, and uh, but I was only running a thirty five cc DLE in it. So its wing loading was still very good, even though it was a heavy model. Um, and um, the probably the main thing out of the box, it did have a few issues as far as its incidence to the ground with the landing gear was incorrect. So I put um, some robot struts on just to bring bring it down a bit lower to the ground, which is was more scale appearance. Um, and um, the other thing was I just then added some detail, painted the cowl and. Um, Put a false engine uh, thing in the in the cow. It's just, yeah. just little things like that, and sometimes I find it's um, the small stuff that actually makes a bigger 
big difference. Um, you know, a bit of a dash sort of thing, uh, put a nice dash that made it look a bit better. Um, it doesn't take much really to to do stuff like that. And that's sort of, um, I think, what is it, F4H is the category where they you have to recover a model and, and stuff like that. The, the, the outline is the thing that probably would let it a little bit down. It wasn't quite scaled, but most ARFs aren't perfect anyway. Um, but it's still, it was one of those things that it just um, had a presence in the, when you when it's in the air and on, even on the ground, it uh, certainly was a, an interesting aircraft and a lot of people, you know, appreciated it sort of thing. Um, I've got... Uh... I've got lots of photos of that plane, and and it, it's it's a delight to photograph. Uh, and there are certain planes that make that that are easy to photograph, and that's one of them. And I think it's partly it's the color, the white, the lots of white. Yep. And, um, but it just looks good at any angle. Like the the some of the photographs that I've got standing behind the plane, looking through the twin rudders, you know, so that rear shot uh, looks great. And then for, actually from any angle, and even I've got some. Um, I saw it when you were at a scale event down at um, Bacchus Marsh, the, the state field down there, um, out in, uh, what's it called again? It's the state field that's down there towards Bacchus Marsh. Uh, right? Mount Wallace. Mount Wallace, that's the one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I posted some of the photos on Instagram of it coming in to land, just about to flare, and it just looks looks phenomenal. But you had bigger sights, didn't you, after that Urcoop? You you were using that Urcoop as a test, weren't you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now that brings me to the next model, which is one of the look. It's it's probably the best air coupe going around in Australia. I don't know. There aren't many, but it is number one. Now, <laughs> tell us a bit about the next air coupe that you ended up building. Well, yeah, um, the reason I bought the regional Seagolf one was because I wanted to see how it flew, <laughs> um, because I wanted to get the third scale Balsa USA one, if you like. Um, and probably my um, main intention was to sort of be able to fly it in scale events and stuff, but um, go up into like a F4H category, um, which is, as I said, you've sort of had to have built the model yourself or, or recovered it at least. Um, and yeah, so I um, progressed to get a kit for it, um, which was a fantastic kit. It's just so inclusive of a lot of stuff. Um, but in saying that, I, I because I was um, wanting to model it off a particular aircraft, um, I had to make a lot of changes anyway. Um, yeah, so it's... Um, How big is that plane? Like, what are we talking wingspan-wise? Uh, it's 120-inch or, yeah, just over about three metres. Um and um, yeah, it's uh, got a Sato sixty-one twin CC four-stroke in it, which, which ticks over nicely. So, and and that's plenty of power for it for that size model. It's yeah, plenty of power for it. It's um, it's a light wing-loading plane, mm. um, and it, it's the air coupe actually. Like I've I've had a Cub before, a sort of a. Um, Largish cub and it flies very similar to that, um, but the ground handling is much better on the air coupe um, than a than a cub. Being tricycle undercarriage and so forth, they they do handle the ground a lot better. Um, 
if interesting enough, the full size actually people say, oh, with it all, with the coupled ailerons and rudder, it must be a nightmare to land if you get a bit of a crosswind, but the full size actually can land in up to 25 knots oh, crosswinds. Really? So it, it's, yeah, it's a pretty amazing aircraft. Now, um, and so you, you did model it on a real one. Where was that real one located? So, yeah, the real one... Um, was located uh, Jack Vivers, Vivers, I think his name is. Oh, he's the, Jack Evers. Jack Vivers, that's yeah. all. He's the president of the Peninsula Aero Club. He actually owns one, which he um, got out from the States back in, I think it's about 2011 or something like that. Um, it had been restored, but he actually went about restoring it again um, to get it right up to scratch. And... Um, so I thought, well, that's one I can go and get some photos of and, and really get some details on. And so I gave him a call and he was just more than happy for me to come down there, a lovely guy. Um, and he said, yeah, come down, you know, show you around. I'll go down there and he says, oh, you want to go for a fly? I said, too right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he went up for probably about an hour over um, – you know, Phillip Island and all that because it's down located down at Tyab. And, um, yeah, so as I said, he, he was very accommodating and, um, yeah, great, great guy. Um, the aircraft itself is is beautiful. It's uh, all been upholstered in Italian leather and, um, yeah, he really looks after his uh, his planes. So your plane is you've, – you've replicated the scheme on that, haven't you? It's yeah, so – With red stripes. Yeah, all, all that sort of pretty much trying to make it identical as best I can. Um, and it was all a bit of a learning curve because, you know, I was still relatively, that was probably two years ago, two or so years ago that I started, three years ago maybe. Because that, was, that um, was probably your biggest build to date, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, um, that was certainly big for me. Um, you know, 35cc is about the, the biggest that I'd had up until then. Um which is pretty much a norm nowadays for a lot of aircraft. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? We're getting, um, we're getting yeah. bigger and bigger. The well, uh, that Urcoop, I knew that you were building it, and I was, you know, I think I mentioned it to you when I first met you, and we were talking about the, the Seagull Urcoop, and, and I said, oh, I can't wait to see this other, uh, this other Urcoop. And then I did see it, and it took, how long did it take you to build from start to finish? Um, probably about a year and a half. Um, so it wasn't too long, but I was going at it, you know, pretty pretty much every day doing something on it. Oh, really? Some sort. Yeah, yeah. Just even if it's sitting there and just thinking about stuff, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. that uh, takes takes more time. But, um, yeah, trying to work out different things for it and, you know, what, how to make um, like some of the things where the wing join is normally on a kit. Well, on the full-size one actually had long-range fuel tanks put on it. So they covered the joint of where the wing joins normally. So there's different things like that you have to work around and, and make it work so it looks and appears like the full size. So, so your, um, your aim and your focus was really to make this as scale-like as possible? Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to be able to fly it in F4H at least. It could go in F4C, but yeah. because it's a kit based on a kit, it's it's not scratch solely, so you can't at yeah. that point. Uh, you'd be marked down for that. So, um, but yeah, and uh, it uh, 
just had a lot of little things that um, you have to work on and make it your own, you know. Um, did you have yeah. that? Were there any big stuff ups along the way in the build, or it went uh, together pretty smoothly? It look the build itself, the the actual balsa build, you know, building the the um, the timber bits and pieces together, the ply, whatever. Uh, it, it wasn't too bad. It was pretty pretty easy, really. Um, most of the work is actually in the detailing. Um, that that's to ha- how to do stuff and make stuff look. Realistic. What, what's um, some of the detail that you put into that play? Oh, well, like it, it come with a dash kit. Well, I didn't use the dash kit because it wasn't going to look like like the full size that I was. So I had to. I made that sort of all up myself. Um, the all the lining in the cockpit that was, as as I said, the full size had Italian leather. So uh, you know you have to try and line it with something. The seats, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they give you plastic seats in a kit. Uh, they're no good. The, the windscreen is a bubble windscreen. Well, on this one, it had been modded to a flat windscreen with a shroud around it. So, yeah, you know, you got to make these things up yourself. Um, and, you know, I'm not an experienced model builder, um, but thankfully there's lots of people around and out in the scale of community that are, are always willing to help and give advice. So, um yeah, it was, that's one thing being part of um, the scale association has been very helpful in that regard, just to, just to, you know, find out little things, tips that you need or whatever. Very, very handy. You know what I find funny, Tim? How you keep on playing down as if you just started in this hobby. Now, <laughs> if anybody went to the Shepherd and Mammoth Scale event last year, they would know that this Urcoop, your, your, your kit build Urcoop, won the Pilot's Choice Award, which is the number one award that you could win at what I consider to be Australia's greatest large-scale model event. You took that out, and I was so happy for you because I knew the amount of effort that you put into that plane, and that your plane was absolutely stunning and did not represent a model that someone that who just got into the hobby built. It was absolutely immaculate. I said earlier that the, 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 the Seagull kit looked great, in photographs. Well, this Bolsa USA kit, uh, bigger plane, uh, amazingly finished. It was just absolutely awesome. I've actually got to go and find, I'm going to po- I'll post some photos up in the, in the next week or so of that aircraft up on the Facebook page and the, um, and the flat out RC Instagram page. But it's a phenomenal model that has been masterfully built. And, uh, you know, it, You've got to see it to believe it, people. I'm telling you, it's it's an absolutely awesome plane. Now, how does how does that plane fly compared to say the smaller Urcoop? Is it is, are they similar or is it is it a little bit different? It's a tad different. It's it's similar, but um, uh, thanks for the co- the compliment too, Andrew. Appreciate that. That's very nice. Um, it, it is similar. Um, it's uh, if anything, it's better. <laughs> Um, with the Seagull one, as I said, you know, it's not quite scale and the the rudders were a little bit further apart. So the rudder didn't have a lot of authority. It's got a bit more authority on on this, on the Bolsa USA one. Um, and the undercarriage, they're out of, they're like, it's from the kit, if you like, but with some tweaks. Um, but it just, uh, yeah, their, their trailing link suspension and stuff like that, it just lands beautifully. It's very nice. Um, were you yeah. a bit daunted when you came to Maiden that plane or what were you feeling? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty. It was a bit daunting because you put so much work into something, yeah. um, and it only takes one thing to to you know you miss one thing or something like that. Um, it, it can bring it all all apart. So, um, but even at the Shepherd of Mammoth, I didn't have a pilot in because I'd only flown it I think twice before or something like that. Yeah. Um, two flights, so um, it was still a fairly new model um, flying it there. So. Have the have you competed with that yet or not? And uh, no, I haven't had a chance. I know. <laughs> well, we were just saying how I just put a um, post up on Facebook saying who's looking forward to going to a flying event. And I tell you what, it seems like another world away when we were able to go out to a flying field. You know, you and I are here in lockdown Victoria and, you know, hopefully we're going to be out of it soon and we can get back to normal. But I think I think we're going to be stuck like this for a while. So we just have to... Remember the good old days at this point in time, and that Shepparton event. How good is it? Like, yeah, is that uh, you? I have uh, you do visit a number of different events. Is that one of your favourites? Oh, definitely. I think um, just meeting meeting up with all the people there and you know familiar faces, whatever. It's it's just great. Um, and I think that's probably a big part of the hobby. Actually, is getting around just catching up with people half the time and seeing their models, what they're doing and what they're up to. Um, I think uh, Shepherd and I mean, I have camped there most of the last few years that I've been and um, it's just a great, great place to, to be and go to and a great event. Yeah, um, and um, my friend, as I said, David, who's sort of my flying buddy at the time for many years, um, you know, he's been, what did he put the other week? You've been to 21 different fields or something, 22 different flying places, including Tasmania and Mildura and whatever. So, you know, uh, he sort of encouraged me to get around a little bit to these places. And um, it certainly, that improves your flying as well because you, you're faced with different uh, different terrain, different, you know, surroundings. Um, it's all, all a good experience. That's true. And actually, it's one of the questions I was going to ask you because I've, I've seen on Facebook and stuff, you've visited a lot of different fields. What's your home club at the moment? Uh, the Northern, Northern Flying, Flying Group, Group is, yeah, it's my home, home club at the moment. I think, um, and I'm a member at uh, King Lake yeah. uh, still because it's sort of, I'm sort of in between. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, at one point I was a member at Wagga because I was going up for work up that way. So, oh, really? Yeah, so I have got around a little bit. Um, and um, What's your favourite field at the moment that you've visited? Uh, um, actually, like, I've been to the NAS field in Canberra. That was quite nice. Um, and I've actually been up to Port Macquarie to, to visit my friend David up there. Yeah. Um, it's obviously nice weather, so yeah. wherever, wherever you go up there, it's always nice, no matter where you are. So, um, but yeah, I think I, th- I think we've got some great great fields around some of the state fields and Packnam and stuff like that. We've we've got some good facilities for sure. I think we do. There's uh, it, it's interesting, you know, because you're in the scales and you, you obviously saw the photos from the last world champs in Switzerland and. The amazing flying field that uh, they were at, and it was an airport where they were flying, and in this beautiful valley. And uh, I do enjoy a club that's got a good outlook. <laughs> Some of our clubs are located right near rubbish tips, which aren't that great. But I'm a member of a club down the Pallarine Peninsula here, and I always say when I fly there, the, the sky feels bigger. There's nothing in your way ahead of you. It's like paddocks and paddocks and paddocks and beautiful outlook. And 
it's something that I, that I value as well as you know the outlook when you go to Shepparton and the canola fields all around and uh, if you've seen any of my photographs from there you'll see all the canola fields and it just uh, adds something to it this bright yellow it's just awesome I'm getting excited talking about it isn't it funny well it's it's one of those things I think when I, I during my time um, producing the magazine I would go to events to take photographs and get stories it was a great way that I could you know turn up to Shepparton and I'd get four articles out of one trip. So it was an efficient way to to capture content. And because all the good planes was there, it always was, you know, a great opportunity. But I'd go to Shepparton and, and walk away with about 1,300 photos. And then I'd go through every single one. And when you're staring down the barrel of a lens, you're really hyper aware of the surroundings. And, and even um, I've learnt at Shepparton which way the sun moves that, you know, the mornings aren't that great for taking the photographs because the sun's sort of in your face when it's better than behind you. In the afternoons, the time to take the photographs and the different angles that work best with the with the the angle of the sun and all that kind of stuff. But um, but it's it's interesting how in this hobby, and this is why I love it so much, is that and and you mentioned this as well. Like an event like Shepparton is great, not just not because the planes are there. It's the people that you get to see and meet that you generally see maybe once a year, twice a year because they're coming from all around the state or the country with their, their models that you get to catch up with. And then I love going to country clubs and the Shepparton Club's a beautiful field and, you know, and, and the whole expedition there is like a journey. And that's just what, that's what I just love about events, especially events just held in, held in faraway places. You know, I've been as far as Pinaru to go to an event. It took me like <laughs> eight hours to get there and um, it was unreal. See, the Pinaru event's coming up, but... Uh, we live in lockdown, Victoria, so we can't go anywhere. <laughs> the um, now, besides the Urcoops, now, and you know, if anyone meets Tim, just cross your fingers that he's got his Bolsa USA Urcoop out there because it is a great model. But I know that you're working on another model at the moment, aren't you? Oh, working on a working on a couple because of the lockdown, unfortunately. <laughs> well, good time, good time to do it. Make the most of it. I sort of, I sort of try to um, just have one that I'm working on. I, I don't like to to think of, you know, having something else sitting there half done. Um, I just like to finish thing, one thing. But unfortunately, just this uh, lockdowns forced me forced me hand a little bit. And I had a, um, or well, had a D eight, a quarter scale D eight hit to build. That was one one thing which. Um, Almost done. I'm just finishing up the. Got to get the painting on it done, and um, I'm also building a Convair 440, uh, which is a twin engine uh, passenger plane. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah. So, and probably my reason for that for building that is um, I do like airliners. If you like, from when I was a kid, that was sort of some of the memories. But um, I just think that uh, we got twins and more. At, the northern yeah. and that was a part of the inspiration I, I i've sort of noticed you know events all around have sort of struggled a little bit and um you know uh we haven't got the we haven't got the uh backing anymore of, of some of the some of the hobby stores because yeah. there is none um there's not much around so i sort of thought well you know i'll build something that can sort of add value add something to these events in some way um, and I know there's a few others that are, are building similar sort of aircraft and I'm sort of looking forward to the day when 
like even at Shepparton or, or wherever where, where there's some some of these events happening, that we can have some, you know, a good amount of decent aircraft just to put on a bit of a display even for, for visitors and that and just to encourage others that, um, you know, there's there's lots out there to do in the hobby, you know, whether it's uh, flying a foamy or a um, a little EDF jet or yeah. up to full-size jets or, or larger scale planes. So, yeah. Now, this Convair, is it a kit or how do uh, you no, that's that that's um it's a plan built so it's a Don Smith plan yeah um it's a what's it uh, hundred and thirty two inch wingspan um it'll have two DLE thirty fives as its power yeah um probably weigh around probably a bit over twenty probably twenty two kilo something like that so yeah. is and uh, what scheme are you gonna end up putting on that one do you think um my original intention was to do it in their RAF scheme, um, which is pretty plain. Um, but <laughs> my thinking was originally, oh, if there's a military event or something like that, well, I could bring it along and fly it at that. That was part of the, the thinking behind it. Um, and I'll probably still follow through with that scheme. Um, it's, it's fairly simple, but, uh, yeah, it's something different. And we did have two two of those in, in Australia in the, uh, I think, 50s or something like that. So. Yeah, I'm just looking at some photos online of it. That, that's going to look great. That's been an awesome play. Like, you know what I love is when people start building planes, uh, models that we don't normally see. I was actually on the Laser Kits Australia website just browsing uh, photos. Like, well, actually, what I was looking for, to be honest, was there's a, uh, I had a, an American magazine where they reviewed the Top Gun event over in the US and there was a, a, a King Air. Twin, twin King Air, and it looked phenomenal. And it was electric too. Um, the, the builder had built it electric, but it was, it was a big plane. And I had a look at, and I thought, gee, that is something that would really stand out in an event. Like it's a different, different model, and, and its lines were beautiful. And I thought, I wonder whether anyone's done a, a short kit or something like that of it. And so I was on there, and but I, what I found myself doing was looking for something that was different, that wasn't a Piper Cub or a Cessna or an extra or an Edge, and you know, all those traditional planes that do translate well into models. But um, oh, I, I, I love the airliner thing as well. And I actually, I tried to get the guy, um, Rami, Rami RC from, uh, he lives in Germany and he, he makes these big, you know, 787s and things like that. And uh, I tried to get him on the podcast, but he said he was too busy. I thought, gee, <laughs> doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know who flat out RC is? But anyway, he, he's a good bloke, but he was he's, he's flat out. And he, so he's building these, massive airliners and i just love that that concept of um you know the airliner style plane being built but um so when do you think you'll have that finished so i can come and have a look at it (laughs) (laughs) well if i think i've got all the bits and pieces pretty much now and it's uh i'm just fiberglassing the fuselage at the moment so it's not too far away hopefully by the end of the year um i might have that up and running, but um, yeah, being a twin, it was a bit more challenging. Um, yeah. So yeah, it might be, it might, might not, uh, might not have it for too long. I don't know, but hopefully, nah, hopefully you'll be right. Go and have a chat yeah. with uh, Dave Shivers. He's he's a good man with twins. He's yeah, got- Dave and uh, Rob. I think it's, it's Rob Mitchell down in Warnable Way. He's he's a twin. Yeah, twin expert. Twin that's yeah, that's so. a good thing. There's always plenty of people that can help out. Just you know, and nowadays with the internet, just get on Facebook, send people a message, and they'll reply. And, um, yeah, fill in any gaps, but um, you'll be right. Are you going to plan to put a lot of scale detail into that one or how far are you going to go with it? 
Oh, not not really, not as much. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, the air coupe was sort of a bit of a one-off at the moment for me. Um, and I, I find that with the hobby too, it's sort of like, you know, I think, oh, I want to try that, you know, until you, you do something like that and then you switch and go to something different. You want to do that. And that's the beauty of it. There's so many facets to the hobby, uh, whether it's, um, as I said, you know, electric-powered or motor-powered or jet whatever it is um there's just so many ways places you can go with it so um, that's true yeah the um so which side of the fence is sitting on do you, do you classify yourself more as a builder or a pilot or uh, switzerland right in the middle <laughs> uh, i'd probably be more built a builder um and i because i'd say well you've got to do something with what you built so you've got to fly but um yeah i think if i had more time at the field flying um yeah i'd probably be in the on the fence sort of thing but uh yeah i, I enjoy the building more so i think tim you know I, you're i think you're a little bit older than me not a lot i don't think you know like <laughs> an old bloke yet but the um that once we get to that retirement age that's when we'll be flying more it will come that's what i keep on telling myself yeah. but well, I'll tell you what, let's just get through this first COVID stage. <laughs> let's just get to a flying field and then we'll worry about how much flying we can do. Actually, I was talking to a friend today and we were talking about this lockdown and what we miss. And I said, you know, I said, I want to go to the flying field and just fly. Like have one of those days where you've turned around and you've done 10 flights at least kind of thing. And because I just need to get out of my system, I've got something like four different models that I've got a maiden as a result of all of this. So it's going to be busy times at the flying field, no doubt. And are you, can you, have you got plans to continue with the scale competition side of things? Oh, sure. Once, once we get back into the swing of things, um, it'd be good to continue on with that. And um, yeah, I, I think, uh, but like you were saying, you know, I'm keen to have a, just a general fly first, you know, to get, get, get the, uh, got to blow the cobwebs out sort of thing. Yeah. The, uh, it's depressing at the moment, I'll tell you. What. But, <laughs> but you know what, but this is the good thing though. Like you mentioned that you're working on a number of projects whilst we've been locked down. And I think most of us have just thrown ourselves into that, that uh, I, I find myself going from weekend to weekend like I get to Sunday night and I go, okay, so this weekend I didn't do much. What am I going to do next weekend? And I've been I've been working uh, last weekend actually. I, I pulled my my ricochet glider that I've had for that I got off a friend for peanuts and just refurbishing that. So, and let's just say it's not a scale jobby and it's not looking that great, but it's going to fly. You know, it's an eighty dollar yeah. eighty dollar purchase. And I just want to get in the air and throw it off a slope or something. But um, but I'm finding myself just working on that because I'm almost exhausted every. Uh, Every project, but um, after this, after this little chat, I'm just going to get online and have a look at this King Air because now you're getting me excited. Even though I don't have <laughs> well, enough time for anything, but I just like the idea of a project that's going to take me 20 years to complete. <laughs> Actually, as a guy, uh, I, 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 this year I reached a major milestone, and that was finishing two 100 cc aerobatic planes that I had, just ARFs, and uh, one of them, one of them, I actually paid someone else to build because that's how little time I had. And uh, and he finished that a year ago, and so it took me a year to get it flying. And all I needed to do was like set the radio up or something. But um, the other model took me five years. And a friend of mine recently posted on a on a on a Facebook page. He said, "Ah, oh, my model's finished. It was uh, took me a bit longer than expected. It took me like you know six months or something like that." And I, I wrote a message to him and said, six months? Mine took five years." 
So if I have to build something like your Urkoop, the, the Bolsa USA kit, I reckon that's a 20-year job for me the way I'm going. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I do, you, do you get a great sense of achievement when you finish a model like that and you just put it on the bench and take a look at it and go, that's just amazing? Yeah, no, definitely. I was pretty stoked even, like you said, at Shepparton to get that pilot's choice was uh, amazing. Um, I didn't expect it, but, um, yeah, any model, though, once it's finished, uh, you know, you know you've put some effort into it. And I think, yeah, you just appreciate it. Yeah. Now, the big question is, like, I'll I'll be bouncing around the house once I've finished a model and I'll be saying to the rest of the family, doesn't it look great? Don't you like it? And they just have this blank look at me going, what? Not interested. <laughs> How about your wife? Is she interested? Is she proud of your Urkoops that you have? No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one, no one, no one really. I had, uh, I've got three daughters, and um, and so yeah, it's sort of a girl's house, and um, I don't really appreciate the the plane so much. But um, well, it's a, it's a positive in one way that we know we get time to ourselves at the flying field. If they're all keen into it, then uh, we're going to have to deal with them as well. But um, I'm tr- I, I'm trying to get my son into flying, and um. It's not working. <laughs> One of his friends is really keen. He, he rang me the other day and I was having a chat with him and uh, he wants to go flying and I've got to give him a plane. I said, I'll give him, I've got a flying wing. He wants a flying wing. I said, oh, I've got one here. Someone else gave it to me. You can have it. So he's all excited. But then I said to my son, well, your friend's going to have one. I've got planes for you. I actually, I built a 30cc ultra stick, the Hangar 9 stick that I, I put in the magazine and I recently sold. And when I built it, I'm all proud, you know, going, look, I finished it doesn't look great and i turn around to my son and say charlie if you come flying with me that is yours this plane is yours he said don't want it i went what <laughs> i can't tempt him with anything but anyway maybe maybe the cotton bear i think it, my son would like that he's, he's got a he really likes old planes and old cars and things like that which is uh quite surprising for a young kid but anyway uh, how, how often are you getting to the field uh when in in normal circumstances I'll probably get there. I'll try and get there once a week if I can. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always happen, but uh, yeah, I'll look forward to. I pretty much fly most Saturdays that I sort of did my day, and um, yeah, I sort of miss miss the guys there and missing all that at the moment. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I do. At some days, you know, I, I call myself a two flight two flight Tim because I get there and I end up yakking half the time to everyone, and by the time I've Going home, I think I've only flown twice. Yeah, I know it's like, but you know what? There's a lot of people that frown upon that. You know, they, how many people you heard say, "Oh, the old guys just come in and never sit and they never fly." Guess what? So what? They're allowed to, and it's it's a social club. And like I've always said, that this hobby is great. It's a great hobby, especially for for elderly people. Uh, you know, because it keeps you socially active, physically active, and mentally active. And what more could you ask for from a hobby? You know. And, and, of course, Tim, we can always use that excuse when our wives complain about how much we spend and how much time we spend. We can always say, well, what do you want us to do? Just start drinking and go to the pub. We are clean living gentlemen, aren't we, Tim? Yeah, that's it. I, the I pause was great. I, I, I always say, you know, look at, look at my phone. I've got how many steps I've done today, you know. And I go to the flying field. It's the biggest day of my week. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, and, yeah. And that feeling when you get home, like you've achieved something, like I notice a difference in my demeanor if I've spent a day at the flying field, especially if it's been a good day. And I mean one of those days where you're there early and you've you've stayed most of the day and you've had lunch at the field, caught up with a lot of people and that kind of stuff. It's just one of those things where 
I'll tell you what, I don't know whether we're over-exaggerating because we've been locked down for too long, but uh, <laughs> now I really want to get get out there. And I've just I've, I've joined the pack. And I, today, I got the official letter saying that I am now a member of the, the P&Darks, the Packenham Club down here, um, which I hope to be there for a long time now. So, uh, that, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to getting and enjoying uh, mm-hmm. meeting some new people at the new club. Now, future plans in yeah. the hobby. Have you have you have you set yourself some some goals and some models that you'd love to build, or where are you going with all this? Uh, good question. Um, uh, trying to think. Turbine. There's what, there's, there's, well, I'm sort of ticking that box at the moment. Ah, <laughs> oh, so am I. <laughs> what turbine? What are we talking about? Oh, it's a pre a pre loved. Um, yeah. one, but um, I, I'm sort of thinking there's all these people now with jets, they're all going to be wanting to, when as soon as the place opens up and we have a jet event, it's going to be oh, like it's going to be mammoth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny, uh, this, this whole um jet movement that's really sprung up, and as you know, they're not cheap things, but I'll tell you what, it just shows you that just because something might cost a bit more doesn't stop a lot of people from getting involved in it because that whole jet movement is just it's the best I've ever seen. I think that, um, you know, just there's one, you've got, as we said, with the whole sorts of things, but noise and sound is another one and just jets or whether it's a four-stroke ticking over, it, there's just always different things. It's just something about it that makes you enjoy the hobby, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, will, I, I've, I always say that I'm into almost everything and uh, I've, got a, I've got a shed full of, different stuff from gliders to aerobatic planes to discus launch gliders and and i've got the jet of course big shout out to matt uh tomlinson who listens to this podcast and says to me uh has a go at me because he reckons that every episode i tell people that i've got a jet top matt i've got a jet i know i haven't mentioned in the last two podcasts even though i have private messaged you and told you on a daily basis that i have a jet so matt tomlinson shout out to you i've got a jet and i will fly it uh when we can now um <laughs> Big final question, something I ask everybody. Uh, what has been your favourite model so far? Ooh, um, please don't I'd... say you're the, please don't say you're e flight apprentice. No, no. Um, I'd say as far as like you said, with the you know, one of those models I stand back and look at and I go, Wow, you know, I built it, that would be my air cooper course. Yeah. Um flying wise, I haven't flown it that much, but flying wise, I've got a, a stomp. Which you might have seen before. It, yeah. was a pre- it was it was built many years ago by someone that I don't even know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's similar to Tiger Moth type thing. But the stomp flies beautifully, and uh, I actually really enjoy flying that around on a on a nice sunny day. Um, yeah. yeah, that that Tiger Moth kind of plane is is one of my favourite biplane sort of form factors. You know, and and does it fly slow like a Scarlight when it's flying? It, yeah, flight's got slow and the stomp's got um, uh, ailerons on both wings, so top and bottom, so it's actually, actually slightly aerobatic, if you like, and um, a bit more than the Tiger Moth, so it's quite enjoyable, yeah, yeah, yeah moving that, that is, around. That is awesome. Like I um, I may have seen that plane. I can't remember whether I've seen it. I know I've got photos of them. Um, but anyway, we might see that at an event or something. Yeah. Well, Tim, you underplay your your abilities. Like you know, the, the Eurocoupe 
you know, I got to know you through your, uh, your first Earth group and then the, the, seeing the second one was just mind-blowing and I was just rattling off photo after photo of that plane. And uh, did, did I put that into the Flat Out RC magazine? I think I did put this. Did I put the second one in? I'm not sure, Andrew. I can't, I can't remember. remember. I know I had to put the first one. Maybe I ran out of editions. Actually, do you know, <laughs> that, do you know what? I got, a, um, I got a, uh, a letter in the mail literally today of someone that um, subscribed to the magazine and the magazine hasn't been in production since November last year. And so, and, and it had in the, in the form, he obviously had a copy of the magazine. He cut it out to get a subscription and, and it said phone number. It said, uh, no phone, mobile, no mobile, email, no email. <laughs> I'm still living yeah. in the dark ages or something. And so, and, he, and a check for $40 for a subscription. And I, uh, I had to write a letter. I hadn't written a letter for years. I thought, oh, I can't contact the guy. So I wrote a letter and said, dear so-and-so, you know, the magazine shut last November. Thanks for your subscription, but uh, here's your check. And uh, so that's got to go in the mail. But um, so anyway. We very much liked the magazine, Andrew, that you had. Yes, I, 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 I appreciate hard. I, I appreciate hard copies of, of anything really to read. I think it's a lot nicer um, in a sense. But in a, well, We're recording this before I've released the next episode of uh, the podcast. But uh, in one of my previous podcasts, I went on a bit of ramp, a rant about how the state of the mar- marketing in the hobby and communication that um, the pros and cons between, say, traditional being magazines versus digital. And my conclusion was that I really love magazines. I, I, a magazine captures captures the reader and you can tell a story and take the reader on a journey in this physical sort of format. Whereas I find with digital, it's all over the place. You know, we have lots of different YouTube channels with people doing lots of different stuff. And then we've got Facebook photos and Instagram and you name it, there's all this stuff going on. And it's almost like competing for attention, but what's being said is nothing that's great. There's, you know, there's, some, there's some stuff, good stuff that's happening from a number of different creators like Martin Pickering over in, um, well, he's from the UK, but he lives in Spain. He's doing a great job with some of his videos and tutorials and things like that that are really, really beneficial. But beyond that, I really miss a good magazine. And am I tempted to bring it back? No, I hope <laughs> in hell. But because <laughs> it's, it's a lot Just of work. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, well, it's one of those things that, uh, Magazines are expensive to produce. Now, I was, if I had to pay myself a wage, there's no way I made any money out of the damn thing. And mm. the industry's not just not behind it. And I talked about that in, 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 the, in the episode. That, so listen to a previous episode. It's the one where I interviewed Michael Hobson, the Michael Hobson edition uh, of the episode of the uh, Flat Out RC podcast is the one at the end. I sort of went on a rant. But um, when... Airborne magazine sort of fell over here in Australia. A lot of the advertisers pulled the pin on on print advertising, and they all said to me when I because I rang them all, "Oh, we're going to do our own thing." They have done nothing, absolutely and utterly nothing. And whatever they have done is just pure advertising to sell a model, right? There's nothing. They're not nurturing the hobby, or you know, there's some there's some good guys there. Like I had a lot of support from Mike O'Reilly from Model Flight, who was really trying to push things along, but um there weren't many companies out there that were interested to really nurture the hobby. And I, and I miss those days of having, having the magazine. And that was a lot of work for me. And I, I outlay, you know, it cost me a lot. And I, I, most, most editions I probably made a loss, just a slight loss, you know, but uh, 
But anyway, we live and we learn, and now we'll just do a podcast because it's a bit easier than <laughs> having to write all the time, and, uh, and I'm still enjoying it. So it's been good having a chat with you, Tim. And as I said, well done, and stop downplaying and keep on saying you're a newcomer. You've been in it for years now, and you've achieved more than most ha- will ever achieve in their lifetime in the hobby, winning the Pilot's Choice Award at Shepparton. I was over the moon for you because I know you're, you're a great bloke. Like Every time I've had a chat with you, you've been a good bloke and a humble guy. And I, I could just see the look on your face and how pleased you were. And you were so surprised that people loved this model, but you you deserved it. And I'm, I'm really proud that uh, they, they gave you that award. And 2021, Shepard, and we're there. I'll be there. You're <laughs> going to be there. We're going to have some Definitely. Time. Yeah. So. No, thanks, Andrew. Thanks again, Tim. So we'll talk soon. Will do. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Big thank you to Tim DeHaan for joining me there, talking about his activities in the hobby. Uh, great bloke, uh, good pilot, great builder. Downplays his efforts, you know. Keep on bumping him up, pumping him up, telling him that you know he's not as bad as what he thinks. He's, he does a really, really good job. I can't build like he can. Some of the scale details putting in is awesome. His, his planes look great. So well done, Tim, and thanks for joining me. Now, with all that talk about kit building and things like that. You know, we talk about kit building sort of dying off over the years, and I think a lot of that's as a result of the issues with kit building being the time you need to commit and that kind of thing. And that's why ARS came about and made it a bit more accessible for people to to participate in the hobby. But this concept of laser cut kits or scratch building has got me fascinated. Not at this stage of my life where I probably can't commit the time that I need to, but uh, down the track. Uh, and so it got me thinking and, and working out how you can do it because we don't have as many kit builders, like uh, sorry, kits that are available to us. You can't go down to your average hobby shop and go and grab a kit and start building it, whether it be like a basic glider or something like that. You're either looking at the secondhand market on websites such as RC Trader or on Facebook that people might have some model kits for sale. There were a lot of people that bought a lot of kits with great plans that they were going to build these models and never have. That's why we see things from 20, 30 years ago uh, on the market because the owner never got around to, to building them. But the good news is that with the advent of technology, such as uh, CAD drawing, CNC, laser cutting machines, all those kind of things, the whole laser kit market is a lot broader than what we think. Now, what I mean by that is that there are a number of uh, people that have developed plans for building models and now those plans can be digitized and because they're digitized they can then be put into machines to laser cut parts so it's developed this whole new industry of laser cut kits which brings me to a company called laser cut kits australia i don't know who these people are um just looking at their website if i can see if i've if i've met any of the owners but uh they've been going since 2011 and they basically, Brad Hallard, I don't know, I don't know Brad. Anyway, well done, Brad. Laser Cut Kits Australia is basically providing a laser cutting service for kits. So what they're doing is you can go and buy uh, their plan, a plan that uh, is available for many different um, designers around the world. And then they'll cut the kit up and provide all the components. The only components they often don't provide are things like canopies and uh cows but they will tell you where you can get them from overseas 
So laser cut kits, go to their website. You, you, you'll be there for days. Go to the shop button. You'll see all the different models they've got. Now, what I love is the broad range of models. Like we're talking about models that someone will never make as an ARF, like a A36 Beach Bonanza. You know, who's going to make one of those? Let's, let's use that as an example because it's just shown up, right? So you can get a 20, 27% scale version or a, yeah, 27% scale version, right? So we're talking about a wingspan of 180 inches. That's a pretty big plane. We're talking about up to 100 cc. They'll give you all the the information as to you know the dimensions of the plane, the weight of the plane, the engine size to use, and then you can buy that kit. Now, just looking at the pricing now, it's three hundred and seventeen dollars ninety for the laser cut kit, and then you got to buy the plans, which is another eighty bucks, right? So you're looking at around the four hundred dollar mark. Let's just say the four hundred dollar mark to have a, a a laser cut kit of a giant scale beach bonanza. That's not bad at all. Nowadays, with the way exchange rates have gone, things like that, that is not bad at all. And when it comes to models, like I was mentioning earlier, there's heaps. There's warbirds, there's biplanes, Antonov AN2. Who's going to make one of those? But you can if you want. If you want something different, my pet project, my my one of my aims is I want to build a uh, a super chipmunk. Just love the super chipmunk and that scheme. And I, I always jump online and have a look at laser cut kits, and they've got they've got one. Uh, you want to send me one? It'd be great. You want to build a lab, Lancaster Avro Lancaster? They've got it. Uh, if you're into scratch building, you can buy a plan and cut the parts yourself. Now the thing is with these kits is you're not going to get a detailed instruction booklet telling you step one, do this, step two. You got to you know build to the plan basically. So you got to do your research and really analyze your plan and. And that kind of thing, and then don't forget, you are you may need to buy some some of the parts, like as I said, uh, cows and canopies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you might have to get them from overseas. But the good thing is that there's these companies that will build those components. So uh, Wendell Hostetler, Jerry Bates plans, the Nick Zerley, uh David Anderson plans. There's all these different, uh, even Airborne. The old Airborne magazine, some of their plans. So they're basically cutting these kits. So there's, uh, I'm getting excited just looking at their website because they've got just an amazing array of of models, even turbines and things like that. So if you're looking for something different and you really want to get back to that satisfaction, I think that's what comes down to the satisfaction of building something from scratch, uh, putting those pieces of wood together to form something. He's, he's just, that's what I love the idea about kit building. Now, we've, if you've been in the hobby for a long time, we've done it. You know, I built models back in the 80s, uh, gliders and things like that. And being a lot older now and a bit more experienced, I probably do a much better job than what I did back then. But the kits as well nowadays are even better with laser cutting. They're very accurate, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it is a bit more involved, of course, the build and sometimes having a little bit of experience with building model aircraft. And I still think you've got it, you know, if you've built ARFs, you've still got some experience. But if you're going to get into it, you can can go and buy like a basic stick as a a test case if you want and see how you go building that. So laser cut kits, they've got, you can have a look at them, uh, just have a look at, they've got a couple of different, they just got a new domain. So they've got lcka.com.au or lasercutkits.com.au. I think I'm just going to go back and have a look uh, because I don't want to get this wrong. Laser cut. Oh, I've got to go back. 
But take a look at their website. I'm just going to type it in laser cut kits. Here we go. Yep, lasercutkits.com.au. I think they just got that web address. So lasercutkits.com.au. As I said, they'll provide you with uh, all the cut parts. They may not provide you with things like um, sheeting material, bolster sheets, which you can just get anywhere. You can go to Bunnings nowadays and buy uh, buy your bolster uh, sheets. So it's basically they're cutting the parts that you need cut and anything else you just go and buy. So, you know, say you bought a $400 uh plane let's add another let's just say add another 200 bucks even at 600 dollars for a kit like that with all the components that's not bad at all uh you're going to have to source wheels and you know some of the hardware components as well so uh but that's all part of the fun and the research it's one of those things that you're going to have to research find the components but you're going to be happy with what you end up with that is the thing go and ask tim dehan next time you see him in an event of the satisfaction of him building that 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 Urcoop and his big uh, Bolsa USA Urcoop and how satisfied he is to just see that that model finished. So, you know, take a look, Laser Cut Kits Australia. Have a look at the uh, scratch building. If you want a bit of a challenge, you're sick of putting together ARFs. You want something a bit different. There's a model that you love that nobody makes, but you can get as a kit. Give it a go back yourself in yes it's going to take you some time it doesn't matter how long it takes it's going to keep you occupied and uh it's going to provide a lot, uh, hours and hours of entertainment and fun and just think about what it's going to look like when you're at that field and sitting on the runway to take off how good is it going to feel when you know that you built that model so there you go take a look at laser cut kits australia and by the way they don't even know I'm mentioning them, so this is not a paid advert for them. It's just something that I keep on looking at their website and want to talk about kit building. So there you have it. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. That's it for today's episode of Flat Out RC. Big thank you once again to Tim DeHaan for joining me. Really enjoyed my chat with Tim and hope to see him and his models out at an event in 2021. Thanks again to all of you for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast and hanging in there and listening to the entire episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to our social media platforms, Instagram, Flat Out. Uh, sorry, what am I saying? Flat Out RC on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, I posted a new video recently on YouTube of a little interview that I recorded a number of years ago, pre way before COVID, I'm talking about probably two or three years ago now, with uh, Ian Howard from Desert Aircraft Australia, all about the ignition modules that they make for uh, Desert Aircraft engines. So take a look at YouTube channel, subscribe. I'm trying to boost the subscribe account. So even if you just want to do me a favor, just go over to YouTube, press subscribe. Uh, and once this COVID thing goes away, we'll get back into producing more content on YouTube. It's a bit hard at the moment. I'm, I'm, I've got some ideas of a few that I'd like to do. I can do out of my office, but uh, we'll give it a go. So anyway, thanks for joining me once again. We'll be back next week. Uh, already got the interview in the bag for that one. And I've got another big international guest lined up as well that should be coming in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned if you, if you love the international guests. Got another one coming for you. He's a big name out of Europe, one of the biggest in the in the aero modelling hobby. So stay tuned and thanks once again for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Ready, 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 ready.